Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode six of the Take a Swig podcast. Swig and Blake coming back at you with a, a recap of week five of the 2022 NFL season. Uh, Blake, uh, how you doing? I'm still stuck in this basement, so not very good, but I'm excited to record this episode. Yeah, and no, I feel that. Yes, uh, recording from our basement studio again. Uh, I'll be uh, completely honest here. We're recording most of this episode before the Monday night game, so I don't have to stay up till 3 a.m. And then uh, once the uh, the Chiefs-Raiders game is over, we'll uh, record that in a brief segment right after the game. So it'll all be out on the same episode. But um, Ed, how was your, uh, your weekend? You get caught up on college football, anything like that? No, I didn't watch too much college football this weekend. Spent Saturday and Sunday with my daughter, so... Yeah, just a lot of daddy-daughter time. Not a whole lot of football. Watch some red zone for the NFL games, but that's about it. Gotcha. Yeah, that sounds relaxing enough. Yeah, for me, I had yet another wedding this weekend on Saturday, so I didn't watch as much college football either. But that was kind of convenient considering Syracuse had a bye and I wasn't quite as invested anyway. But uh, without uh, any further uh, small talk, why don't we just dive right into the week five action. As always, we'll start with the Thursday night game, start with and then go to the early Sunday games, later Sunday games, you know the drill. And uh, that Thursday night game, uh, we're, we're not going to really sugarcoat this one. We're not going to talk about it all that much. Uh, we got the, uh, the Colts and the Broncos playing one of the worst games of all time. I wanted to scrub my eyes with bleach afterwards. Now, I'll be, I usually like low scoring games, but uh, that game just absolutely sucked. Uh, Colts won the game 12 to nine, but in overtime, I think it should have been a tie. It was just terrible. I don't have much to say about it. What about you? Yeah, I think it's, fucking perfect that I actually yawned when you started talking about this game it, it's just that boring that thinking about it makes me tired this game was just pitiful to watch that punter deserves that contract way more than Russell Wilson next game I'm done with this yeah I don't really have much to say about it either uh, Colts get to two two and one and the Broncos fall to two and three but yeah that was just too nauseating for me to talk about. And, and I, I want to get to the 9.30 a.m. Sunday game anyway, because as you guys might be uh, might expect, I'm excited to talk about this one for once. Uh, the Giants pull off their biggest win in a long time with a big second-half comeback win over the Green Bay Packers. 27-22 to is the final score there. And the Giants moved to 4-1 and one on the season. Uh, before I get into my spiel on it, Blake, what did you think of the game? I was very impressed because – uh, that this game did not go how I expected. Obviously, I don't think it's how you expected it either. It was very exciting to watch that second half. Uh, that Bellinger touchdown. Oh my God, that was a beautiful play call. I love seeing stuff like day ball. The offense just continues to grow and grow, and the defense continues to do enough. And uh, you guys aren't the prettiest team, but it gets the job done. And you just gotta love seeing that week in and week out. It's the first time I've seen it with any shred of consistency in a really long time. Yeah, I've definitely enjoyed it. I still think it's very clear that the Giants are not the more talented team in the vast majority of the games they play, but the, the coaching difference has been immediate. Like It, it was definitely clear in the uh, in the, uh, the, uh, the Tennessee game and the Carolina game, but I think it's been even more clear in the Chicago game last week and now this one, where the second half adjustments have been on point, and the Giants did this they scored on five consecutive drives, starting with that Bellinger touchdown drive in the first half that you mentioned, carried over to four straight scoring drives in the second half. And then they're doing this with 
a lot of injuries, especially at the wide receiver position, where there was no Kenny Galladay, there was no Canarius Tony, no Wandale Robinson, and Sterling Shepard's out for the season. So we already know he's not coming back this year. So the Giants down their top four wide receivers on paper. Darius Slayton, with his best game in probably two years, it was good to see him get another opportunity because he's definitely the most talented, healthy receiver left on the roster. But Daniel Jones, I was really impressed with. He shoved. I will not question the kid's intangibles or his toughness. I'm not necessarily, I'm not here to say he's one of the more talented quarterbacks in the league, but he's been better at protecting the ball and he's been making some smart decisions as to when to run. Uh, He's been pushing the ball downfield enough. I'd like to see more of a vertical game from him. And uh, of course, there's the obvious with Saquon Barkley looking amazing and that that uh, he, he got involved on a couple of huge plays in the second half. There, there was a lot to like from the offense there. And uh, if the Giants could ever get some uh, healthy wide receivers to make the passing game more credible, like maybe they could be a middle of the pack offense, at least consistently, whether offensive line hopefully gels. Yeah, I definitely think so, because this season we're seeing Daniel Jones can actually be the game manager that we all thought he was coming out of college. He's not the sloppy guy that he's been in years past. It looks solid enough on the field. And the other thing I want to hit on is like, you know, so far through five games, the Giants have gone to deficits, I think three or four times so far. And the difference in this team this year, you see them play all four quarters actually. And that's really refreshing to watch. And that's why Dayball right now is my head my coach of the year. Yeah, no, I think you nailed it on the head right there because the last couple of years, like the Giants got down 17 to three in this game. And if this happened last season or with Judge or if it happened with Pat Shermer a couple of years ago, this, the game would have turned into a blowout. I, I have zero doubt. We saw dozens of examples of it, frankly, over the last few years, but that didn't happen. Like the Giants came back from down 13 in the Titans game to open the year. They came back from down 14 in this one. And those were both teams that frankly are much more talented than the Giants. And it was just something that the Giants were clearly the better coach team in the second half. And that they have been a second half team all five weeks this season. Like you could make a little bit of an argument against that for the Dallas game. But other than that, they have been the better team in the second half against their other four opponents. And I don't think it's a coincidence. Those are the four games they've won so far. They already matched last season's win total in five weeks. So, I mean, it, it's definitely a step in the right direction. Uh, defensively, I, the, the thing I really wanted to mention, other than the fact that they pitched a shutout the second half, was uh, I thought the Giants' most indispensable defensive player, Adore Jackson, he got hurt in the second half. He didn't play. And I, I thought the corners behind him just would not be able to hang. But while it wasn't perfect, we had Nick McLeod and Justin Lane playing outside corner for the second half of the game and a little bit of Fabian Moreau, who's done a surprisingly good job. But we st- I know the Packers wide receiving core isn't as good as it was with Devontae Adams or going back to the Jordy Nelson and James Jones days. But the fact that the Giants still pitched a shutout with those two playing corner, the two straight deflected passes at the line on third and fourth down at the end, like how awesome was that? Oh, it was very awesome. I, you love to see it, especially because, like, you know, corner and wide receiver, both sides of the ball for the Giants, very uh, down on the depth chart. You know, we were talking Fabian Moreau. I haven't heard that name in years. Like, these are, like, not household names stepping up and making the plays. Like, you got to love it. And you know that comes from coaching. Like, I'm not saying these guys can't play, but you know it starts with the coaching and getting them in their right mindset and putting them in the right place. 
hundred percent. I think Wink Martindale, the defensive coordinator, has absolutely coached his ass off as well. Uh, we we know that uh, from his days with the Ravens, where he's more, much more of an aggressive defensive coordinator, a lot of exotic blitz schemes, and a lot of man coverage on the back end. And he continued to do it in the second half. Like the Aaron Rodgers and the Packers' offense were really really comfortable in the first half. They were going just right down the field methodically. And in the second half, the Giants played up. They said, we're going to take away the things in the flat and say, beat us deep. And that's a really ballsy decision when you're down to your practice squad corners. And it worked. I mean, I know I know it's easy to uh, praise the decision when it actually works out, but that's just not every coach would have the guts to do that. And like, I know it's easy to say because it worked, but it's just, it, it's so refreshing night and day. Like, I still think that there's going to be times where the Giants talent gap is going to be exploited more uh, I, but there's definitely a foundation here the culture seems to be changing for the better uh, there's a lot of things I'm really excited by we'll see if uh, Wink Martindale can have a revenge game next week when we play the Ravens but it, it was a big win for the Giants I was pumped up watching it uh, from the Packers side of this I know I'm a little biased ranting on my own team here but uh, from the Packers side of this um, the offense stalled in the second half uh, they failed to connect uh, they, they don't really have a vertical passing game right now we've seen that uh, I know some of that's with Devontae Adams not being around anymore and I thought they got out coached pretty badly especially in the fourth quarter here and we're seeing some defensive breakdowns from them as well because I wasn't expecting Darius Slayton to end up with what 80 receiving yards on Sunday because we haven't seen him do that in two years. I haven't seen him on the field in it feels like a year and a half. But the one thing I want to hit on, uh, besides that touchdown to Mercedes Lewis, I didn't feel like the Packers offense was doing anything special scheme-wise. Yeah, first of all, I love how Mercedes Lewis is still the only first-round pick ever to catch a touchdown from Aaron Rodgers. But um, – I know like in the first half, I think it made sense because the Packers were just able to go methodically down the field a couple of times, build the lead. They scored 20 points in the first half. Like you're not really going to complain at that pace, but in the second half, when they weren't able to get anything going down the field and the giants were able to not only tie the game, but eventually take the lead. You didn't really see many adjustments from them. They tried a couple of deep shots to Lazard eventually, but they, they were broken up. And other than that, like you didn't see too many uh, creative or risky plays. And like, it felt like the Packers got a little bit more stagnant than I'm used to seeing them, especially on the offensive side of the ball. They weren't really able to run the ball very much during this game. Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon weren't huge factors in my mind. So the, um, and they, the Packers were able to get down the field and get close to scoring at the end, but they had two straight deflected passes and Mark Sanchez was the color commentator for this game. And like on that fourth down play, they, um, yeah, Rogers made a signal where he tapped his helmet and the giants, a couple of their linebackers, Tay Crowder was one of them. Like they pointed out to uh, Nick McLeod who was covering like the Gi the giants knew that play was coming as Xavier McKinney wasn't able to sack Aaron Rodgers on the play, but he was able to get close enough to get his hand up and deflect. And it was just, really to me unusual because we've seen the Packers come through late in that situation how many times oh and the Aaron Rodgers there it's like oh it feels like every fucking time they come through in those late game situations no matter the distance even it doesn't matter and it's it was refreshing actually to see the Giants come out on top in that situation well I thought it was refreshing because I'm a fan but yeah no the uh, the Packers not being able to come through there is more the exception than the norm but they almost lose at home to Bailey Zappi last week they do blow a, a, a two-score lead to Daniel Jones and the Giants this week. So uh, it is very unusual to me to see that from the Packers. Uh, I think they will rebound, but we've seen them have some issues defensively 
each of the first five weeks. Like they got uh, pretty well beaten by Minnesota week one. They hadn't lost again until now, but there were some clear defensive breakdowns even against inferior quarterback play in the last two games. And this time it came back to bite them. So I think it's something to keep an eye on for the Packers, but they are still three and two, although they did fall the second place with the Vikings win. We'll get to them in a minute. The, uh, the next game I want to talk about, uh, this one was really one-sided uh, go to the, uh, the Patriots beating the lions. I think the final was 29 to nothing there. Bailey Zappi wins his first career start. Um, lions offense disappeared. What did you see? Uh, literally nothing from the lions. This game was pitiful. Uh, there was a glimmer of hope for me when they got that interception, I think in the second quarter, but yeah, it just never fruition and, uh, putting lions money line in my parlay really fucked me. Yeah. I had the lions in one of my parlays as well. And I regretted it almost immediately. The, um, the Patriots, uh, I'll give them their flowers, especially on defense. Their defense was excellent oh, yeah. in this game. And Jack Jones, their fourth round corner out of Arizona state. He's looking really, really great to start off. He had an amazing interception in the first half of that game. But the, um, the fact that the Patriots defense played so well, they also stopped the lions on six different fourth down conversion attempts in this game, which is kind of a, uh, an insanely high number. Yeah, definitely. And I think a part of that was uh, Matthew Judon was wreaking havoc in this game. And on the other side of the ball, Harrison Stevenson look, looked like a real one-two punch. And it might just be the Lions defense, but because they have yet to show up this season. But I don't know. I'm really feeling that Harrison Stevenson one-two punch. Yeah, I think it's kind of a thunder and lightning thing almost because uh, Stevenson's a bigger back who's got, I think, some deceptive speed. But And then you have Damian Harris who can make things happen on the outside or is more of a home run threat. But, yeah, to me, the story, Patriots defense, good. Lions offense, like, I know they didn't have DeAndre Swift again, but, I mean, Amon Ross St. Brown was a non-factor here. TJ Hawkinson was a non-factor here. Jared Goff was under pressure the whole time. You mentioned Judon, and I know he's a hell of a pass rusher when he's on, but the Lions offensive line – is usually one of the best in the NFL. And to see a team that was averaging 35 points a game in the first four and then going to zero in week five is very jarring. But I think I, I do want to ask, like as much as we like the energy that Dan Campbell's been bringing to the Lions, he, I think some of his over-aggressiveness at times is, is starting to show up on tape here where like the decisions are more questionable. For the most part, they're not working out. Lions dropped to one and four here. Like I, I still love the energy he's coaching with, but – do you think he's starting to become at least a little bit of the issue? Because the Lions have, while this game they got dominated, they've left a couple of winnable games on the table. Uh, no, I don't think he's the issue because, like, his uh, energy, his um, identity that he's brought to this team, like, there's a real sense of, like, we know who Detroit is on and off the field as a whole team. I, I don't know. I want to give more patience on this one. I want to give him some more time this season, maybe into next season. I really like what they're building there, and I don't want to see them just scrap it again. No, I don't want to see that either. And the Lions have had six decades, really, of sucking overall. Like They've had one playoff win since the 50s. So I, it, it's, I'm not trying to pin this all on him, and I don't want, I'm not necessarily advocating for the Lions to get drastic and make another change, but I was hoping to see a little bit more progress in terms of the win-loss column. Hopefully we'll see, start to see that more going forward unless they play the Giants, of course. The, um, the next game I want to, uh, to talk about, though, I mean, the Giants are 4-1. and one. That's a surprise. Another New York team is now over 500 is the New York Jets. 
up to three and two. They beat the Dolphins. I think 40 to 17 was the final score there. Um, I don't have a lot to say about this from the Dolphins perspective. I'd rather focus in on the Jets for now. They end up with a lopsided win. It was their first win against a division rival uh, after 12 straight losses over the last couple of years. They're above 500 now. What did you see from this game? Yeah, the Jets look really solid, honestly, on both sides of the ball. I like a lot of their pieces. There are a lot of younger guys on both sides. Um, there's countless guys getting involved on offense. It's not just like one or two guys are making big plays. Like you got Corey Davis, Elijah Moore. Brees Hall looked amazing, as usual, as so far the last few weeks. It's just in the scene, I know Zach Wilson a little bit back and forth, but I, I like the progress. I feel like this Jets offense, hmm, I dare I say, above middle of the pack by the end of the year. Man, that, that's, you know, that's still a little bold for my taste, but I do see a lot of upside with the team. And I wanted to talk, you mentioned Brees Hall. I, I think the running back tandem is turning into one of the better ones in the NFL already. I, I am ready to say that. Brees Hall and Michael Carter, like, I've been impressed with both of them. Like, do you think that could be a top five running back duo by the end of the year? Do you think it already is? Uh, I think it will be this season just because of the Javante Williams injury. But out, uh, if Javante Williams was healthy, maybe we're talking six or seven. But for a team that's struggled for so long and got Carter in last year's draft, Brees Hall in this year's draft, like, that is a pretty good – a uh, quick turnaround for the Jets running game, which has struggled. Like the Le'Veon Bell experiment, for example, did not work. They had the the corpse of Frank Gore the last year of his career. So there wasn't a lot there to like. No disrespect intended to Tevin Coleman, but the, and the Jets, you know, well, I, the, their offense was better than I expected in this game, can, despite the fact that their offensive line has been decimated by injuries. I still have concerns about their defense, but I think the Jets have been playing some smart football the last couple of weeks. They were able to get some good fortune with the, with the Teddy Bridgewater injury right at the beginning of this game on Miami's side with Miami already missing Tua. So they were down to the third string quarterback. So I think there was some luck involved, but the Jets have also very clearly shown some very legitimate improvement. I don't think they're ready to necessarily win eight or nine games yet this year or anything, but I do think that let's say five to seven is a legitimate possibility already. And I do think there's been some clear progress in getting Zach Wilson back into a rhythm will really help him from the Dolphins side. I, I honestly don't have much to say. I think a lot of it, they were down to Skylar Thompson for most of the game. Do you have anything else to say? Yeah, no, not at all, actually. Cause I'm like, I don't even want to count this as a loss for the Dolphins. Cause it's like, you're down to Skylar Thompson. You know, there's, what are you going to do with a guy that didn't even expect to play today? Yeah, like uh, we, we could mention how they were the uh, ironically the first team to um, to deal with those new uh, those fucking uh, concussion protocols that were put in place because of how they fucked up the Tua situation. But I, I don't really think it's worth getting into too much. Teddy Bridgewater, at the very least, should be ready for the Dolphins next game. So that would give them a better chance to win. Skylar Thompson showed flashes here and there, but uh, he's clearly a project. So he was thrown into the fire. Dolphins and Jets, both three and two after that game. One team that did get to four and one, like the Giants. How about the Minnesota Vikings? They were able to survive uh, a comeback effort from the Bears in the second half. Cameron Dantzler made a hell of a play to seal the win. I don't know. I'll get to that one in a second. But Vikings hold on, win by seven. They moved to four and one. Bears two and three. What did you see? from it yeah i'm ready to say the vikings own the nfc north this season and they look really solid through five games i've liked what i've seen from them week in week out they have solid performances on both sides of the ball they look like a complete roster there is definitely some things to like and mostly of course the record is helping cover up some of the flaws they've had in my opinion but 
last year, the Vikings, like I think the stat I saw while I was watching the game is they played 14 one possession games last year. And I think the Vikings finished, I think five and nine or six and eight in those games, all five or no, or uh, four of the Vikings five games this year, I believe. Now they got killed by the Eagles. It would have been three of the five, the last three have been one score games for the Vikings this year, but they've won all three of them which is a big difference. Like they smoked the Packers week one. They got destroyed by the Eagles in week two. And then they've won three straight close games since. Part of it, Kirk Cousins not playing on Monday night football, but also part of it, Kirk Cousins has played some really, really good fourth quarters. And while he's, while he's still very clearly inconsistent and has some pretty clear flaws, like if he can consistently execute in the fourth quarter in a system that the Vikings probably aren't entirely adjusted to yet under a new coach with O'Connell, how much upside do you think the team has to really improve, be it, let's say, a, a 11, 12-win team maybe at the end of the year? Oh, yeah, easy, easy. Uh, just because the team around Cousins is so good, in my opinion. I really like this Vikings roster. And to me, Kirk Cousins is the biggest flaw on this team, but he does enough. He's, um, yeah, he's definitely a game manager. He's not going to win you games, but he does his best job to not lose. Yeah, if he get it, like it, it, we, I know we've said that about a few different quarterbacks already, but I think that was basically the Vikings' idea when he was signed a couple of years ago because they had a really strong roster then, and their roster looks better than I expected it to now. I do still have some concerns about their defense, but Cameron Dantzler made the play of the year in my opinion. As so the uh, the Bears uh, they took came back to the lead. Uh, Vikings respond, go up by seven, and the Bears had a nice little drive going in an attempt to try, tie or maybe win the game. And uh, Smith Marset, the former Viking, makes a catch. He stiff arms Cameron Dantzler, get, he tries to make another move. And then Dantzler just gets up and rips the ball from him and um, yeah, yeah, returns it for another 20 yards or so. And then the Vikings are able to take a knee from there. That is just one of the sickest plays I've ever seen. He's my dog of the week. All right, fair. I'll let you have that one. He, yeah, that was a great effort play. You love seeing guys that just don't give up on plays. That's the best response to getting stiff-armed I have ever seen. So shout-out to Cam Dantzler for that. From the Bears' side, real quick, uh, wait, did you have another point? Yeah, I just wanted to say this is how you handle being stiff-armed appropriately, not like Earl Thomas becoming a blocker for Derrick Henry. <laughs> or Earl Thomas uh, having a foursome with his brother. Like, what, what the hell was that story? It was something fucking weird. But anyway, the um, uh, Earl Thomas catching strays, uh, he didn't play for either <laughs> of these teams. So, like – the, the Bears side of this, uh, they had a valiant comeback effort. They were down 21 to three, took a 22-21 lead that we finally saw some flashes from their passing game. Darnell Mooney made a sick one-handed catch in the first half and Fields had a couple of really nice drives. He led a great touchdown drive in the second half. It was the best I've seen him look. He, he is not the reason the Bears ended up losing the game. I was going to say, we haven't said Fields had a nice couple of drives since he was at Ohio State. So that was refreshing to see at the very least, but I still have zero expectations for that offense. So I, I, the one, the last flash I really remember liking from Fields was that game where the Bears played the Steelers on Monday Night Football, I think last season, and the Bears got absolutely raw dog by the refs in that game. But the, um, the, the like Fields led a go-ahead drive, and then the Steelers were able to win anyway after some, let's say, bullshit calls, and I'm not even a Bears fan, but Anyway, th like this was the first game this season where I thought we, we saw the positives from Justin Fields. Like we know his athletic ability is legitimate and 
his wide receiving core isn't necessarily the best. So he doesn't have the, the greatest group to work with, but we saw him make some good throws from the pocket. We saw him push the ball down the field. We saw the natural talent that he has, and he was able to extend plays like he's always been able to do. So if that's something the, the bears can build off of, they'll have a lot more positives to take from the season, but considering he had four games where the bears offense didn't really do much. And one game where they look good for a half and couldn't quite pull through at the end. Again, not his fault. He had a nice drive going until Dantzler made the play. So I, I'd like to see more before I think he could be the future, but I, I'm higher on fields than most people. If he can have a couple more flashes like this going forward, he can put that together consistently. The Bears will have a lot more to like. But uh, the next game I wanted to talk about, frankly, I don't have a lot I want to say about this one. It was kind of ugly. The Buccaneers held on. They beat the Falcons 21 to 15. They almost blew the, the lead to Atlanta, which would have been some funny irony if Tom Brady blew a big lead to Atlanta. I know regular season, but and we can talk about that roughing the passer call that helped Tampa Bay hold on in a minute. But the, they, the Buccaneers rebounded. Their, their defense played really well. They got just enough from the offense. What did you see? Uh, what I saw was uh, penalties on back-to-back -back third downs within like 30 seconds of each other that really changed the course of this game. That is the only thing I want to talk about with this game was those atrocious penalties. Yeah, that roughing the passer call. Like, I, I will say that the NFL has – we've seen more than just the Tom Brady example of – extremely soft roughing the passer calls. So like, I'm not going to say it's only him. I think the fact that it's Tom Brady is going to put that under a bigger microscope, but for anyone who didn't see the play Falcons had a big sack and it was nullified by a roughing the passer penalty. And the referee's report said it was like unnecessarily thrown to the ground or something. And I'm like, well, fuck you. That's just the definition of a sack. Like you have to get them down to the ground. Like it, I, I thought it was ridiculous. I think, the idea is to try to avoid people getting thrown to the ground and hitting their heads. And we did see that with Tua in fairness, but Tom Brady did not hit his head. I know that might not be the point, but I thought it was a really soft call and it really screwed the Falcons over. Yeah. And I might just be salty as hell, but that's not even the softest roughing the passer call Brady has gotten in his career. I, what comes to mind is when Chris Jones just lightly tapped him on the shoulder, but um, the defensive holding penalty on Terrell, is the one that really bugs me because nowhere did he ever hold the guy. And you are – the whole point is you are supposed to be able to impede their progress in the first five yards. It was definitely within five yards, and he never grabbed. It was just hands. So, I, to me, because that one happened first, so that one is the one that is more egregious to me. Yeah, I know that one's not getting talked about as much. Like, I – First of all, I think A.J. Terrell is one of the most underrated players in football. And second of all, yeah, he, he got shafted too. So, like, not like the Falcons. A young team was clearly the underdog who were down by three touchdowns in this game, needed anything else to keep them from coming back. But they got it. And it just – it kind of sucks for them. But the, I do want to very briefly mention the Falcons' offense. It's, the fact that they struggled without Cordero Patterson and Kyle Pitts isn't really a surprise to me or even that concerning. What is more concerning to me – they still have Drake London, who has looked very good in the first month of the season. Like He's been a bright spot. And I know that the Buccaneers might have been able to key on him a bit more defensively. Why did they not try to get him involved more? Like, no offense to Olamide Zacchaeus, but why the hell is he the one that their offense is being or run through, basically? Like, I, I, I've had some, very, some questions with how Arthur Smith has used his weapons so far. Yeah, I, I, going back to Tennessee, I had problems with how he used his weapons. 
But props to you for even attempting to say that man's name that I am never going to attempt to say. Yeah, I'm hoping I got that right. I'm not 100% sure that I did. I'm pretty sure the Zacchaeus part is right, but honestly, I don't know. Um, but yeah, but he, he got a lot of targets, and no offense to him, but he doesn't have that same upside or dynamic ability that Drake London has already shown. Yeah, definitely. But uh, it's something else I want to hit on. I know he hasn't looked bad, but they're not winning games. So at what point do you think about putting in Ritter? Well... I'm not a big fan of Desmond Ritter. I know you like him a lot more than I do. If the Falcons get to the point where they're, say, four and nine maybe later in the season, because I don't think there's as much uh, urgency to get Ritter in the game for Atlanta as there was to get Kenny Pickett in in Pittsburgh, and we'll get to his game in a minute. But I I, I do think there's more time to be patient. I think that they want to get some production and confidence from uh, Drake London and Kyle Pitts, if they ever get him involved in the offense and he stays on the field. Like Cordero Patterson's a veteran who we know what he is. He's playing well. So I don't think there's the need necessarily to keep his stats up. But like if, if they don't start to get London and Pitts involved more frequently, run the offense through them, it could just completely ruin their development. So I think it would be better for now to let an established quarterback try to get them involved and then uh, go to Ritter later if they continue to struggle. That's where I'm at. Yeah, I agree because it, uh, it, there's no rush. There's no pressure in Atlanta. I just genuinely, as a fan of football, I'm curious of when is the right time to make that switch to the young guy. Yeah, I think it is kind of a case-by-case situation, but I personally think a little bit more time would make sense for Atlanta. Now, a, a team that uh, has a couple different options at quarterback, and one of them might even be listed as a tight end. How about the Saints? They end up taking down the Seahawks 39-32 in a very high-scoring back-and-forth game. Taysom Hill is the tight end that I was referring to there. He accounted for four touchdowns in this game. Uh, he's still a, a huge wild-card part of their offense. So both of those teams are now 2-3. and three. What did you take away from it? It was a pretty fun game to watch. But, yeah, my biggest takeaway is uh, Taysom Hill definitely looked like the Swiss Army knife he was being uh, promoted as when he first burst onto the scene. He played really well. And like Andy Dalton did enough. It was, the Saints got their most effective offense for two reasons, in my opinion. One, good balance of the, uh, the trick plays or the designs with Hill and uh, getting Andy Dalton comfortable without Michael Thomas. And two, they played the Seahawks defense, which seems to be a cure for all offenses right now. The Seahawks defense looks terrible. And not only Taysom Hill, but Alvin Kamara had by far his best game of the season. Oh, yeah, real nice game. And, yeah, I want to hit on the Seahawks defense. Where where did they go? I was so high on them week one. They played with a lot of energy. They were flying to the ball. And now I haven't seen them since the season opener. Yeah, now Alvin Kamara hit on the Seahawks defense harder than he hit pedestrians in Las Vegas. The Seahawks defense, I mean, like you said, the solid week one. They did lose Jabal Adams for the season in that game, so that's part of it. But even if he was healthy, I do not see this being – out more than a bottom five defense in the league, the way they've been playing. It's been horrendous. They've given up countless big plays. It's just been really bad. Like they, they haven't been able to generate enough pressure. They haven't been able to stop the run and they're giving up uh, so many coverage breakdowns on the back end. I think their defense is going to struggle all season. I just don't see that being fixed yet. I have seen some flashes from Tariq Woolen that I really like. Like the, the Seahawks draft picks look good here so far. Charles Cross has played well. Like, and I still think they look a lot smarter in that Russell Wilson trade right now. But we also, I think, have to remember, despite the fact that their offense has been better than I expected, they're still a work in progress, and they're more than a one-year rebuild. And did you see Rashad Penny's out for the season again? 
that's a tough blow. No, I didn't see that. So did they get Kenneth Walker more involved? They did get Kenneth Walker more involved. He had a big touchdown run at one point. I think it was like 50 or 60 yards. And he's going to be a lot more involved going forward here. But sucks for Penny because I think he is a really talented player who just unfortunately hasn't been able to stay on the field. But Seahawks fall to two and three as well. Yeah, Rashad Penny is kind of like the offensive side of the ball is Jason Verrett for me. I, re- I do really like that comp because I, I'm a huge fan of Barrett when he can stay on the field. But anyway, side note, we'll move on to the next game here. How about the team that uh, Barrett used to play for? We go to the Chargers. They end up uh, beating the Browns 30-28 to in a very entertaining but bizarre game, I think, in my opinion. The, uh, the Chargers basically got saved from themselves, almost blew it. Cade York missed a field goal that would have won it for the Browns at the end. What did you see? Yeah, definitely. I am uh, starting to get kind of queasy about this Chargers team. They're not looking anywhere near as good as advertised. They, like, they're avoiding themselves in these wins so far this year. Yeah, and there's been a couple games where they weren't even able to do that, obviously. The, the Jacksonville game being a prime example. And Justin Herbert is at least healthy now. The offense is moving the ball a lot better. The, the running game exploded in this game. Austin Eckler looked really good. He had his best game of the season. But um, I think, uh, real quick, my favorite part of this game was, um, so Brown, uh, the Chargers have the two-point lead late. They had a fourth and two from their own side of the field. They tried to convert. If they did, they would have been able to take a knee and run out the clock. But uh, the, the smarter play probably would have been to try to pin Cleveland deep, make them drive the whole field, you no know, timeouts. They go for it. They don't get it. And Keenan Allen, who did not play in the game, he just straight up tweeted out, man, what the fuck are we doing? And I thought that was the funniest thing ever. Like, I love how he's on his own team, the public thing. And frankly, he's right. I thought it was a very, at best, questionable play call. And I do have some doubts with Brandon Staley's game management. Yeah, I mean, why don't you try to pin Cleveland deep? Jacoby Brissett is throwing that football. You are, like, you're you, – how can you not bet on your defense to stop Jacoby Brissett driving the length of the field? Well, the only thing for me is up until about three minutes ago, the Chargers didn't stop Jacoby Brissett. He played his best game until the end. Now, of course, the end is the part that matters when you lose. But the – like Brissett was moving the ball up and down the field. The Browns jumped out to an early lead. He threw a very costly interception with about three minutes to go. And all three of the picks he's thrown this year have been in the last three minutes of the game, which is not a great time to throw your interceptions as a, yeah, as the fucking understatement of the year right there. And then, um, but even with that, the Browns were gifted another chance because of the chargers, let's say questionable game management and Cade York, who drilled the 58-yarder in week one to beat the Panthers, has really struggled since. He missed two more here, including a game-winning attempt. Yeah, man. It's, uh, you know, not everybody's going to be Evan Money McPherson, but you hate to see when the young kickers, like, start off good and start to struggle. You There's real short leashes on kickers in this day and age of the NFL. You miss a few kicks and you're gone the next week. They don't give a fuck about you, which is why I feel like kickers deserve to be paid more. It would help Cade York. Like, I, I, it sucks for Cade York because he's a fourth-round pick this year, which is higher than most kickers who get drafted go. And he had a great first week. Like, I'm not like, I'm hoping that he doesn't become the latest where he has two bad games and he's out. I think the Browns will be a little bit more patient because he clearly has an NFL leg, but he's got to start being more accurate. Otherwise, he's going to turn into the next player Walsh. So I, I think he's more talented than that. Um, I'd like to see him be able to regain some confidence, but I think that's the biggest thing. If he doesn't start to make some of these kicks and they lose confidence, he loses confidence. He's going to end up on another team. So anyway, the Browns 
end up at two and three Chargers move to three and two. Another team that ends up at three and two is the Tennessee Titans. They ended up holding on beating the commanders 21 17 Carson Wentz tried for three straight plays at the end when they had a chance to win to throw an interception. And on the third time, he finally succeeded the Titans have three straight wins after they lost their first two games. What did you see? It, I did not like this game at all. It's just I, Carson Wentz. Oh my God. Oh my God. Well, I'd like to get to uh, Ron Rivera's comments about Wentz here in a second, but the, um, the Titans, since they won, I'll mention them first. They, their offensive line is really banged up and Washington really controlled the line of scrimmage in this game. They still lost somehow because that's what they seem to do right now. But the, uh, the Titans, they did enough on offense. Tannehill isn't losing them games and the Derrick Henry is able to establish a bit of a running game. My biggest concern for the Titans is honestly their secondary. They've given up a ton of big plays. And despite Wentz's struggles, he threw for more than 350 yards in this game. Deami Brown had a couple of big touchdown catches. One of them was like 70, 80 yards, I think it was. Roger McCreary's given up some big plays. The rookie, they have Christian Fulton. They have Caleb Farley. All of them are corners who were drafted in the first two rounds, the last two or three drafts. And to see them struggle like this, like they've invested enough in the position. And there's only so much Kevin Byard can do with safety. Yeah, and like, how long can you wait on those returns? I know Farley was out like his entire rookie year. So there's some slack with him, you know, getting into the flow of things. But uh, the other two, it's you, you've been playing. You should have this chemistry. Well, except for McCreary, because it's, you know, McCreary's five games into his NFL career. But yeah, I personally wasn't big on Christian Fulton coming out of LSU, but he's, he's shown some good things in flashes. He's gotten burned, like, even in the Giants game, like, the, the, the week one of the season. The Giants have not had a lot of big completions down the field, and Sterling Shepard is not exactly known as a burner, but he burned him for a 65-yard touchdown week one, and I think that was just the start of some real issues in the Titans secondary. And mentioning the Farley uh, thing where they go for a player who was injured and try to almost do a redshirt year, we've seen them have success with that with Jeffrey Simmons, so I don't really mind that approach, but – if their secondary keeps giving up big plays, they're not going to be on this win streak for much longer, but they are in first place in their very bad division right now and give them credit for rebounding with three wins after an 0-2 start where they had a, b- a bad loss to the Giants and they got absolutely destroyed by the Bills. So they are three and two. The Commanders, to me, they lose this game at the end. They're one and four. They're three games out of tied for second in the NFC East already. But to me, the, the story is Ron Rivera, when he was asked about why the commanders are struggling compared to the rest of the NFC East, and he mentioned the quarterback play. And I'm not denying that Carson Wentz has made some very egregious mistakes that has left a couple winnable games on the table. But like we're in year three of Ron Rivera's era in Washington. They're not really improving there. I think the commanders are in a really, really tough spot long-term here. I think Carson Wentz will probably end up being a short-term answer there, but the fact that he's already even if his quotes are being misconstrued a bit already criticizing the quarterback, like I don't see that going over very well. Yeah, no, I think we might be coming to a close on the Ron Rivera era in uh, Washington, because when you talk about the quarterback play, I, you're not going to want to hear this, but I don't think the gap between Jones and Wentz is that big. So like they're comparable in how I feel like they play. So that, that is not the right person to be thrown under the bus this early. I think they're like, so to me, Wentz is a much more talented quarterback in terms of the physical tools. And we saw him 
be a legitimate MVP contender a second year in the league in Philly. And then he like, he has the ability to put up big numbers. He put up 350 plus passing yards in this game. His thing is he like, he's almost too unafraid to make a mistake. And I, I don't mind the, um, the aggressiveness. Like, I'd, I'd rather like Wentz clearly has some positive qualities that I think Ron Rivera being the aggressive riverboat Ron coach that he is, is more willing to try to get out of him. But right now Wentz's decision-making is mostly losing them games. They're one and four. Now they're in a really tough spot. And uh, even if the Giants do end up regressing a bit, which is definitely possible, they're clearly leagues behind both Dallas and Philadelphia, at the very least in the division. And I don't see this being resolved in a short-term manner. So I, I am really worried about the commanders long-term here. Like, I think they're in a really difficult spot. Yeah, and you got all that money tied up in that front seven on defense, and they're very inconsistent on when they show up. So I genuinely I, – I think – it's time send some players out, send make some trades, get Ron Rivera out. This this should be the last year of this, and just start fresh because you're not going to make it with this roster. Uh, yeah, I think it's a good point with all the money they've invested in the draft picks they've invested in the front seven, and they are productive players. Although they would like to get Chase Young back and making an impact, they dominated the line of scrimmage in this game. Like their their defensive line was not the reason they lost, but they just weren't able to get enough on offense here and. I'm not trying to blame it all on Wentz. I think Washington's offensive line needs a lot of help. And as an organization, they're a very flawed organization from ownership down. And like, we're not going to get into that, but it's not something that's going to be fixed in one year. And we've seen Washington try to go for quicker fixes and like not completely bottom out before. I don't think it's really helping them. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens with them. They're in trouble. A team that's not is the Buffalo Bills. I don't really have a lot to say here. They destroyed the Steelers 38 to three was the final. I think I have more to say about Pittsburgh, but honestly, not a lot there either. Not an easy spot for Kenny Pickett's first start. This was all Buffalo from the third play of the game. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, can we, Gabe Davis, what a game. I haven't seen him play that good since the divisional round last year. Yeah, Davis absolutely dominated in that game. He had four touchdowns, I believe, and he had a 98-yard touchdown at the beginning of this game. Like, holy shit, man, that, that was epic. Yeah, but the second touchdown was more impressive because that ball was definitely in Minka Fitzpatrick's hand. Oh, yeah, he just wrestled it from him. Like, if I could do a second dog of the week, it'd probably be Gabe Davis. Like, I'm still giving it to Dantzler, but, I mean, Minka Fitzpatrick is a dog. He's a great player. And to see Gabe Davis, I mean, just basically want it more, like, I almost got the vibe, like, uh, I don't have much to say about this from Buffalo side. Like, they went in, they dominated like they were supposed to. They look good. They're 4-1. and one. Great. To me, it's more interesting from Pittsburgh's side because they fall the 1-4. and four. Pickett not having a great first start, like, on the road against a good team isn't really news to me. But, like, you don't usually see the Steelers just not compete like that. And, like, I'm, I'm not trying to say anything bad about Mike Tomlin because I think he's an excellent coach. But, like, this team – Barring a miracle, like this could be the team that finally gets him under 500. Yeah, I'm, yeah, the last couple of weeks, this definitely doesn't look like a 500 team. No, they really don't. They, they've struggled on both sides of the ball. I do think that Pickett, like going forward against teams that are not the Bills, they'll, they'll get more juice out of the offense, at least a little bit. But the defense, I do have some real concerns about. I don't expect them to give up 38 points every game, obviously, but like, the state of the team to me, they're in a really weird spot. I, like, I don't like Matt Canada as their offensive coordinator. Like, I think they really need a better 
coordinator to get the most out of the offensive weapons they do have. Najee Harris has just not been able to get anything going so far. Like, and TJ Watt being out, of course, hurts them a lot on defense. But like, say to the team, if they are forced to go into a rebuild or anything, like, I think the Steelers might have too much pride, too much talent for that. But they are at least a couple years away from being a playoff contender again, I think. Yeah, it's it's going to take some time, definitely. They have a lot of pieces, but they're missing the most crucial ones, like offensive line, uh, any pass rush besides T.J. Watt. Like, to me, you got to win the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, so you got to start there. So I want to get into the uh, the 4 o'clock games here real quick. The uh, the first one of those, uh, I'm, a, I'm going to mostly talk about this from the Panthers' side. 49ers beat the Panthers 37-15, to 15, I think was the final score. 49ers look good. They have a lot of big injuries. Uh, Nick Bosa got hurt in this game. So we'll definitely keep an eye on that. To me, the story here, like no offense to any 49ers fans, like they did what they needed to do. We'll see if the injuries derail them. They're three and two. I, you know what? I will ask one question. Do you think the 49ers can win this division? Because right now I think they have a realistic chance to do it. Yeah, actually, I do think they have a shot. I genuinely... I thought Trey Lance getting hurt was the best thing that could have happened to them this season because instead of having the growing pains, like I said it the week that Trey Lance went down, you bring Jimmy G back in, you pick up where you left off, and we're talking uh, a Super Bowl appearance and an NFC Championship game. So it's definitely not out of the question for them to win this division, especially with the way the other three teams have looked so far this year. To me, like the, the biggest story with Trey Lance being hurt is it, their decision to keep Garoppolo at a reduced price is looking like a genius move now. He is far from perfect, but he is much better than anyone off the scrap heap they would have had otherwise. And he's able to keep them in games, do enough to win some. And the way the Rams and Cardinals have looked, especially on offense, and we'll get to those two here shortly, but like, I, I do think the 49ers could end up making a run to make the playoffs. At least I think they have a chance to win the division, but to me, story here is the Carolina Panthers. They fired Matt Rule, head coach. I, I, I don't think either of us are surprised by that. We both said on one of our earlier episodes he wasn't going to last the season. And uh, we look like geniuses now for that. So we look smarter than the 49ers did for keeping Jimmy. But the, um, the Panthers also fired uh, Phil Snow, the defensive coordinator. Baker Mayfield got hurt. He's going to be out a couple of weeks. But to me, fire the coach. What do you think? Yeah, I, it felt like time. It just... The, from the start of the season, they've just looked sluggish, slow on both sides of the ball. So it was just – you hate to see coaches get fired five games into the season, but what he's shown over the last two seasons and five games in, it, it was time. That's all I got to say. Yeah, and I, I just I, – we both agree that he, the Panthers just gave off the weirdest possible vibe as a team. I, I know that that's not exactly the most uh, analytic argument we've ever set on here, but the – um. I just, I really just don't like the energy around the team. I don't like the coaching. Like the, in his tenure, the Panthers, if in games where Matt Rule and the Panthers gave up 17 points or more, there were 28 of those games, just 17 or more, and the Panthers won one of them. Like it's, it's one thing if you give up 40 points 28 times, you would have been fired already. Actually, you never would be allowed to do that. But if you have 40 games over the years where you give up 28 plus and you win one, that makes more sense. But 17 is not enough to, uh, to lose you a game most of the time. Like, you think you can get to 20 and beat that. But the Panthers haven't been able to do it. They, the, the game against the Giants week two was 19 to 16, for example. Yeah, that's a great example of the kind of game that the Panthers should be able to win on paper, and they just find a way not to. And this game, they were just clearly outclassed. 
against a, a pretty battered 49ers team that is better than them, but has a lot of key players out. And I think Dave Tepper, their owner, said something like, if they were losing games, that would be one thing. Like, not good, but well, losing games is one thing. If they, like, start to get embarrassed and not compete anymore, and we, we did kind of see that a bit in this last game, that would be the, the straw that broke the camel's back. And Matt Rule's gone, uh, and I think the Panthers are in a really weird spot, too. I like their defense. I think they have a legitimately good, above-average defense that's kept them in a lot of these games, not this one. And they have some really good young players, but they are not going to be a one-year fix because they also don't have a quarterback. And with Darnold not out, uh, ready to come back yet, May, Baker Mayfield out, P.J. Walker is going to be starting the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and like uh, the same for the XFL, this is the NFL. So that's a very concerning thing to hear. And it's just – the defense, you're right, does have nice pieces. They're young, uh, but the offense, it's just a quarterback. The quarterback play has been terrible since Matt Rule got to town. It really has, because I do think there's some talent there. Like, the offensive line is not bad. I like uh, the Brady Christensen pick. They have Moton, Ike Kwanu should get better, et cetera. DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, even LaVisca Chanel, Terrace Marshall. Like, there's some talent there. Christian McCaffrey's obviously, uh, you know, one of the best running backs in the league when he's healthy. Like, so maybe the Panthers will try to avoid going into a full scale rebuild, but to me, they are in just a really weird spot. I think it was the right move to fire Matt Rule, but like, where do you think the direction of this team goes? Uh, yeah, I, mm, that's a, that's a tough question for me because Part of me says, like, they've already been rebuilding. They have the young pieces and, the like, the spots where you need to be young and cheap. But the but they don't feel like they're just a quarterback away either, even though I love the roster. They got talent in a lot of spots, a lot of young players. But I don't know. Something about this team just feels like it's going to take more than just finding the right quarterback. Yeah, the, the Panthers have just never had that consistency in their brief history. Like, they've never had consecutive years where they finished above 500. And that includes two Super Bowl appearances in their history. So it's just, they're weird. I'm not trying to pin all that on the current team, but they definitely have some decisions to make, and I'm very curious to see what they end up doing. All right, the next game I wanted to talk about, uh, we kind of glossed over the uh, – the one o'clock Texans and Jaguars game. And uh, I'd say I apologize to the Texans and Jaguars fans listening, but I'm not quite sure that you exist. And um, even if uh, I did know that, I uh, also am pretty sure that we aren't the only ones who kind of forgot to talk about that game. But anyway, Texans get the win there. They win 13 to six, their first win of the season. They are the last team to get a win. Jaguars fall to two and three, Texans won three and one. What did you take away from that game that we so well remember? Yeah, uh, both teams kind of looked like who we thought they were going into the season. Kind of uh, just tough to watch all around. But a good game from Pierce and another struggling performance from Lawrence. Yeah, Damian Pierce has been a solid find for the Texans. Their defense, which I thought has really sucked the last couple weeks, played a lot better this game. But, yeah, Trevor Lawrence, after the Jaguars have that really, really great almost statement game, maybe – I mean, maybe it was a brief statement. I don't know. But the – the game where they smoked the Chargers in L.A. was like, oh, okay, maybe they're putting themselves on the map. And since then, uh, Trevor Lawrence has turned it over seven times in two games, and they just scored six points against the Texans. Like, so, I mean, do you think the Jaguars have the ability to bounce back? Do you think Trevor Lawrence can get more consistent or no? Yeah, definitely. Uh, there's a lot of pieces in Jacksonville. Uh, 
I think they have a solid team and they just haven't been able to put it together the last couple of weeks. I have, I still have a good amount of faith in this team. They just, yeah, this is kind of like what I expected Jackson ball football to look like going into the season. Yeah, they had both of these teams had lower expectations. The Texans for the most part have just met those. The Jaguars got people's hopes up for a couple of weeks and now they're saying, Remember why we're the Jaguars. So I think they have enough talent where they can bounce back, but they, they really are desperate. Uh, they, they really need to show some desperation next week, I would say, because like these, these are two pretty discouraging performances in a row. Yeah, the Eagles game was against a better opponent, was played in terrible weather, so there was more of an excuse. But this one, just no, be- no problem with Jacksonville weather this week and home against Houston, you got to do better. Um, now, um, one team that continues to unfortunately play quite well is the Dallas Cowboys. They moved to four and one with a uh, 22 to 10 win, I believe was the final, over the LA Rams who fall to two and three, uh, under 500. This is the latest they've been under 500 in a season under Sean McVay. And um, what are your takeaways from this game, Blake? Yeah, the Cowboys defense just looks fucking rock solid and the uh, Rams offense continues to struggle. I, the subtraction of Whitworth really looks like it's fucking hurting them now. The offensive line is definitely a problem for the Rams. I want to get to them in a second. From the Cowboys side, I think we agree their defense is clearly one of the top of the in the league here. But I, I'm curious, like they've won four games now with Cooper Rush. And while they still clearly have some flaws on offense, uh, other than the Tony Pollard run, they were pretty quiet. LA Rams defense kept them in the game. How, what do you think the ceiling for this Cowboys team is? Because their, their defense is very clearly legit. Um... Kind of like those uh, Steelers teams the last few years where they're carried by the defense to like a 9-8 and last year and like just above 500 the last couple years. I The limitations on offense I think are really going to show when Dak comes back because they're going to get riskier with the play call again when I feel like just keep the same offense that you had going with Cooper Rush when Dak gets back. Because that's the kind of offense he thrived in in his first couple of years in the league. And it's just been the last few that they want him to carry the load. And it it's ugly. I just go back to running the ball in defense. That is how this team is going to win. And they just need to stick to that. Yeah, the Cowboys running game to me has been kind of hit or miss at times. I think Tony Pollard's outplayed Ezekiel Elliott for two straight years now. But the uh, offensively, they don't have the same weapons at wide receiver. Like CeeDee Lamb's starting to come into his own. And you see flashes here from uh, Noah Brown or, or maybe if Jalen Tolbert or Simi Fajoka play a little bit more often. Like there's a couple of options, but it's, um, it's very different. Like Michael Gallup's working his way back from the injury. On the Rams side of things, like I, I think five weeks in now, they're two and three. Their offense has played very badly, which is unusual. Um, yeah, Allen Robinson still hasn't really been a factor. I mean, Ben Skoranek has been more involved in the offense. And frankly, I think Daryl Henderson has outplayed Cam Akers as well. Offensive line not holding up as well. Like Matthew Stafford also has more interceptions than touchdowns five weeks in, and he's been sacked 21 times. Yeah, I don't really understand all the struggles that they've had on offense this year. But um, I really struggle to understand how just – uh, swapping Robinson for Beckham and not having Whitworth has made them look this bad. But that's the only things that I still can draw myself to to understand why this team has struggled so much on offense because we know it's not the coach. This coach made Derek Hall look great. 
Yeah, I don't think anyone's blaming McVeigh yet, but he, considering what an offensive guru he's been billed as his whole career with the Rams, and for the most part, I mean, this team did just win a Super Bowl and they've had a lot of offensive success. So kind of hard to say anything else besides that, but it is definitely a concerning trend, I think, this deep in the year. Now, the Cowboys do have an excellent defense, no doubt, but you would think the Rams would have enough talent where they would be able to score points more consistently, at the very least against teams that don't have as good of a defense. And so far this year, that just hasn't been the case here. They struggled against Arizona, for example. It's just, it's been a really tough go of it for them. So while they played a couple of tough opponents, I think they will get better. I think the offense is something that's a legitimate sign of concern right now. Stafford's not playing at his highest level. Protection's not there. Some of the weapons aren't getting involved in the defense can only do so much because I do think they're the Rams defense kept them in the game as long as they could. Now, you could make a couple of similar, some of those points apply as well to the Arizona Cardinals and uh, one of the two teams that the Rams have beaten so far this year. Cardinals, they, they played the Eagles. They fall the two and three. Eagles come away with a three-point win at the end after a missed field goal from Matt Amendola. 20 to 17, the final. The Eagles remain the only undefeated team in the NFL and the Cardinals two and three tied with the Rams. What did you take away from the game? Yeah, was it a double XP weekend? Like, why is Kyler Murray looking so bad this year? Well, I mean, he, he looks bad on the field. I think he looked even worse off the field, like walking into the stadium with that fucking Queen Elizabeth green pantsuit. He looked like a lesbian on his way to Chaperona High School prom. It just, uh, it, it, as soon as I saw that, I'm like, I think the Eagles are going to win this game by like 50. And they ended up winning by three, but I still just wanted to absolutely eviscerate how stupid he looked. Um, but, okay, first off, Eagles perspective. They hold on at the end here. Jalen Hurts, a couple more rushing touchdowns. The uh, the Eagles weren't quite as much of a well-oiled machine in this game necessarily, but they do what they uh, they did what they needed to do to come away with a win. Uh, Cameron Dicker filled in a kicker, Dicker the kicker, which is his actual Twitter handle, so it's not even me making fun of him. But uh, he made a couple field goals in place of Jake Elliott, and Jalen Hurts was able to get the job done on the ground when they got to the red zone. So, uh, what did you like f- from their perspective? How much longer, basically, do you think – how much longer do you think they might be able to go undefeated? Uh, and uh, do you think uh, – how about that showdown they have with the Cowboys next week? Yeah, I think that's going to be the first real test of this uh, Philadelphia Eagles team that I'm really high on. I feel like they could be undefeated deep into the season like the Cardinals were last year. Ouch. But, yeah, this is a uh, – I think it's a really good roster and a team I really believe in, and I think this – Cowboys game is going to be the real test because the Cowboys defense looks like, man, they are lights out. Yeah, it should be a very, very interesting game to watch. And for uh, two teams, I can't stand. So um, uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But uh, the Eagles are definitely off to a very impressive start. I think that they've been able to do good things on both sides of the ball. And for the most part, Dallas has just been elite on defense and I haven't seen a lot from their offense yet. So kind of contrasting styles like Dan Quinn's done a great job with the Dallas defense. But the Eagles defensive, like James Bradbury's come in, unfortunately done an amazing job. Pair him with Darius Slay. They're able to get pressure on the quarterback. Like I've been impressed with them. And then offensively, like Hertz is playing at a new level this year. And they added A.J. Brown to the playmakers. Like we already talked about that. So like we, we know the weapons the Eagles have. They're starting to get more involved. We'll see what happens with the running game, which I think wasn't quite as strong today. But the, um, the Cardinals, on the other hand, I'm more worried about them. Frankly, I don't like watching their offense. We, we talked last week about them getting off to slow starts, and that happened again. They only got to 17 points here. And even ignoring how they fucked up at the end with the uh, 
third and one where Murray slid and then thought he had the first down. So he spiked it when he was really at third down one. So it goes to fourth down and then they kick a field goal that missed. I- I'm honestly going to harp on it before that. Kyler Murray is an extremely dynamic player if he's used correctly. And the Cardinals, uh, while they finally got Rondale more and more involved, and I know that they don't have DeAndre Hopkins right now, like, there's no pre-snap motion. There's nothing to confuse defenses. And considering like how difficult it should be to game plan for somebody as dynamic with the arm talent running ability of Kyler Murray, like I don't like watching the Cardinals offense at all. It's way too stale. Yeah, I don't either. That like the slow starts alone piss me the fuck off. Like I again I'll say it one more time. Like Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray should not be starting games this slow. Like if he's as brilliant as he says he is and as everyone thinks. And Kyler Murray is obviously a very special talent, like you said, with his arm ability and the mobility. There is no reason that even there, uh, you don't even need DeAndre Hopkins like that to be able to do some of those uh, creative things on offense to get players open early. It's the first couple drives are what's supposed to be scripted, and they don't look scripted until the second half ever. It's been a season-long trend, and the wins that the Cardinals do have have been kind of more miraculous comebacks, and they almost were able to come back and force overtime in this Eagles game, but it's just that the the first-half offense has really been sinking them for the most part, other than that game against the Raiders, and they're now two and three. I, I do think there's reason to be legitimately concerned about the Cardinals' offense. At least I definitely haven't liked what I've seen from it. Now, we talk about one game that was more of a low-scoring defensive battle there with the Eagles and the Cardinals. We can go to another one for the uh, the Sunday night football game. That would be the Ravens. They ended up taking care of business at the end on a taco field goal, beat the Bengals 19-17. to 17. So Ravens get to 3-2, and two, Bengals fall to 2-3. and three. What were your takeaways? Yeah, this was a classic AFC North matchup. You know, slow-paced, gritty, hard-fought game, kind of down to the wire. And just, man, Tucker is legit. Did you see the interview that uh, Justin Tucker did like on the field after he hit the field goal? I did not. I would highly recommend you find it after we're done recording here. It was just, it was such a classic textbook interview. I like how he, he called himself a system kicker at one point. It's just one of the best things I've ever seen. The, um, the Ravens, this time they're able to get the job done in the fourth quarter. They've had a couple of fourth quarter blown leads so far this season, of course, and they were, they were bigger ones at home. Ravens were at home this game. They didn't have a, multiple score lead in this one, but they were, they trailed late, able to get the job done. Lamar Jackson didn't have his best game for the first three quarters or so. And he was able to lead them down the field in the fourth quarter, set them up in position for Tucker to win it. So got to give him credit there. They avoided the collapse from the Bengals side. Like the T Higgins was active, but he only played a few snaps, which really pissed me off in fantasy. The, um, but uh, the, the, while the Bengals defense, I think held firm, both of these defenses held firm. The Bengals understandably tried to get Jamar Chase more involved with varying degrees of success. The running game with Joe Mixon is still just not a factor. And they really haven't been able to take, they weren't really able to take the top off of defense in this game. Yeah, which kind of surprised me because the Ravens defense has had its ups and downs this season. So I was kind of surprised that like Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, Tyler Boyd or T Higgins didn't find a way to get open deep in this one. Yeah, they didn't really play uh, T. Higgins very much at all. He just played a few snaps in the first half. Tyler Boyd, like, there were moments, and they were able to get the ball in Jamar Chase's hands more. But, like, the running game, like, Joe Mixon all of a sudden, like, I know the the stats aren't uh, perfect with these analytics, but, like, his um, yards expected basically are in the negatives. Like, he is definitely 
struggling. He's been struggling throughout the year. And it's something that the Bengals are going to need rectified as soon as possible because they're not going to be able to win as much without a consistent running game. And with T. Higgins out, they didn't have quite the dynamic ability on each side of the field like they do when him and Jamar Chase are both healthy. I do think both of these defenses are good enough. Like, I, I wouldn't call them elite. Nobody's going to confuse them with the Cowboys defense right now, for example. But the, um, the Bengals have some playmakers at all three levels. And like Mike Hilton, I think is a really underrated nickel corner, for example, and Logan Wilson, I really like. And like the Trey Hendrickson, Sam Hubbard pairing. There's things to like about both of the teams, but I, we've definitely seen a bit of a letdown from the Bengals up to this point after their Super Bowl appearance last year. So Ravens three and two, Bengals two and three. They're still uh, ahead of uh, the Steelers, at least, in their own division. So they got that going for them. And uh, we'll uh, wrap this one up here. We'll get to the, uh, the Monday night football game that we just watched a few minutes ago as we come back to the microphone here. The Chiefs end up holding on, beating the Raiders 30-29 to in a wild Monday night football game that had a little bit of everything in terms of a comeback, offense from both sides, explosive passes, and some very controversial officiating, to say the least. I'll let the Chiefs fan take the lead on this one. What'd you think? Yeah, uh, it was a very entertaining, fucking, a very entertaining game to watch, to say the least. Uh, I got very nervous in the first half after the what was it, seventeen nothing lead that the Raiders took. That uh, Devontae Adams touchdown on fourth and one was a beautifully drawn play. And um, say to close out the first half, you know, you had the. First touchdown for Kelsey, and then you follow that up with the horrible roughing the passer call, and uh, gave a free three points to the Raiders that we got back. But that I wasn't satisfied with those three points because I definitely thought we were going to get seven after the strip sack. And the second half, very beautiful half of football. Travis Kelsey three touchdowns in the second half. That was very great to watch. And uh, the last couple drives were very nerve-wracking to watch, but I'll take the win. To, just I'll take that win. Well, a win's always better than a loss. I think we both know that. But the um, the Chiefs end up at four and one after this. Raiders fall to one and four. So Travis Kelsey finishes the game with four touchdowns. The uh, now when we mentioned that we were watching this one live together, so Raiders go up to the fourteen nothing lead. They go the so when they made it seventeen nothing. They had a fourth and one from the ballpark, Chiefs 35. They lined up to go for it at first, changed their mind, and kicked the field goal. Now, Carlson did make the kick, and it did give them a three-possession lead. But I said that I think they might be doing the Chiefs a favor here, and I know it's not the only reason, but they did leave potentially four points on the board in a game that they eventually lost by one. Like, do you think that might have started to spark the comeback? Like, I know we didn't see them, the Chiefs fully come back in the game until the third quarter, but I think that started to plant the seed of maybe some Chiefs momentum. Yeah, I definitely agreed with you because I think in the first half, Josh Jacobs was averaging six yards a carry. Like, oh, an unbelievable day for him, just to say the least. He had like 140-some yards on the ground and 34 yards receiving. He was going off tonight. But, like, yeah, fourth and one, uh, already in Chiefs territory, and you have a guy averaging six yards a carry. To me, that's a no-brainer. You just hand the ball off, and it's almost a guaranteed first down. Yeah, I'm a little bit surprised they didn't go for it. Now, I agree, honestly, that that roughing the passer call was complete horseshit. Like we mentioned earlier in the episode, the, the one with the Buccaneers and Tom Brady, like I honestly think this was worse, but they were both pretty bad. And the officials in this game were just, to me, horrendous throughout. 
Yeah, and like the way they were calling this game, like the uh, first Max Crosby, Max Crosby sack on Mahomes is apparently the only correct way to sack a quarterback these days. Yeah, he like literally just stopped the forward progress. He was still standing up and they blew the play dead. And like even the NFL officials didn't call that a fucking roughing the passer, but I'm honestly kind of surprised. And then there were plays later in the game, especially in the second half, where the quarterback, and then what happened to Mahomes a couple times, one maybe once to Derek Carver, they were tackled harder than the Chris Jones roughing the passer that was so terrible. But, and I want to be clear, those were not flags either, but they were more contact or more dangerous than the Chris Jones one that was flagged. And it was just one of the worst calls I've ever seen. And yeah, and uh, I can't think of the exact play, but there was a sack on Mahomes that literally looked more aggressive than the Grady Jarrett sack. And then you uh, add that together with the non-holding call for Chris Jones on a very crucial drive in that fourth quarter. A hundred percent. Now the the Chiefs, of course, did end up holding on. I wanted to talk about this real quick, uh, unless you had another point. Yeah, I forgot to mention the uh, the fact that it took them over a whole minute to discuss whether or not that was intentional grounding. That was just unbelievable that it took them an entire play clock to even throw the flag. Yeah, it was a bad look. Like I think the refs were a joke for both teams in this game. And I know the roughing the passer call is going to get the most attention, and I get it. It should. It was a terrible call. But they were just – like first of all, as fans, we do not want to see – the refs, A, debate for three minutes over every call, and B, make the game about themselves. And to me, the referees made this game more about themselves than we usually see in an NFL game or even a college game because I, uh, if we wanted to watch that. Like, we're not here to watch you guys throw 67 flags and then debate them for an hour and a half and fiddle fuck around. Speaking of college football, did you see the offensive lineman that got flagged for targeting on a block? I did not see that one putting me on the spot i forget what game it was but there you was- can't ask me if i've seen it and then when i say no complain that i'm you're i'm putting you on the spot it's just the fact i couldn't think of i was hoping that you had seen it because that was just a very egregious call this is an offensive lineman trying to do his job throws a like little shoulder block and it gets flagged for targeting well, I believe it. I promise I will look it up when we're done recording here. But I didn't watch as much college football as I usually do Saturday because I was at a wedding. Congrats, Garrett. Lexi, happy for you. The, um, but no, I did not see it. Your point is well taken, though. Um, but yeah, I, I thought the refs made this way about themselves. The Chiefs end up holding on. And uh, there's one other thing I wanted to discuss real quick in the game. Now, I've, I've said this before a lot. I, I want teams to do this more often. Chiefs are one of the first ones I've seen actually try it. And even though it didn't work, so Chiefs have a 24 to 23 lead. They do score a touchdown, makes it 30 to 23. And the Chiefs did go for two to try to go up by two possessions, make it a nine point game instead of going, taking the extra point, making it eight. I understand both sides of that coin, obviously, like they didn't get it. So the Chiefs are only up by seven. And then when the Raiders scored a touchdown, they went for two to try to take the lead. They didn't end up getting it either. That held up as the final score. But I really do like the idea in general of trying to go for the kill there and go for the two score lead. I know that if you go up by eight, the worst they can do is tie the game. But if you get it, then the two score lead in that situation probably would have been enough to end the game right there. And of course, if you don't, no guarantee the other team gets the two point conversion. And in this case, the Raiders didn't like, do you like the idea in general to try to go up by nine? 
Yeah, especially in this situation, like you had a guy that was on fire all night in the red zone with Travis Kelsey. So to me, it just made sense with the time left in the game. Like to be up by nine points would have been just that would have been a kill shot right then and there. I love the aggressiveness. It made sense to me. It's the perfect call. At the end there, the Raiders do get a stop after they cut the lead to one and they get the ball back. They looked like they were driving. They got close to midfield, and they had a third and one where it looked like Devontae Adams had a 15-yard catch or so, but he was bobbling the ball, didn't have possession until after one of his feet were out of bounds. And then on fourth and one, when they're forced to go for it, Adams and Hunter Renfro run into each other. For once, no flag was thrown, and it shouldn't have been, um, but that is how the Chiefs are able to hold on. So congrats on the win. How about the Giants and Chiefs both being at four and one through five weeks? Like, who saw that coming? Yeah, literally no one. Did you ever expect in our lifetime that our teams would have the same record and it wasn't to fighting for the first pick in the draft? Um, no, especially not in the last uh, eight years or so, because uh, it's been an entirely different level. But the um, anyway, it, you never know how it's going to work out sometimes. Like the Chiefs being 4-1, and one, I think, is a lot more expected. But they got there. They held on a very competitive game there. It was entertaining for all of its flaws. I will say that. Now, real quick, before we wrap up, Quick, I know I mentioned Cameron Dantzler as a dog of the week earlier, and I stand by it, but I think uh, I think we both agree on this one that uh, Brian Robinson Jr., the running back for the, uh, the Commanders, he deserves his own special mention here for dog of the week, being somebody who was shot in a carjacking attempt six weeks ago, twice. He's already back on the field, which is remarkable enough. And if you guys haven't seen it, find the video where he goes out onto the field to the tune of 50 cents, many men. Like, that is just one of the coldest things I've ever seen. Yeah, I absolutely love that video. Very happy for him. I'm glad he had a speedy recovery and is playing football again. But, yeah, that camera shot is just amazing. Yeah, that was just ridiculous. So shout out Brian Robinson for that one. And uh, somebody I'm going to dog on real quick. Like, we just talked about it. I won't harp on it anymore. I'm, I'm dogging on those referees in the, uh, the Chiefs-Raiders game specifically. But just he's roughing the passer calls in general. I'm dogging on them. They're fucking stupid. I hate them. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree. I'm dogging the refs this week as well. It's not just the Chiefs game, but it showed up a lot tonight. Just the officiating in general. What is the what is this league become? It, it's just soft. And, like, um, I, I'm going to quote the, the guy that was the beneficiary of this shit on Sunday. Tom Brady himself said that uh, now – Defenders are being flagged for offensive mistakes. They are, and it really is a contrast. Like, you could go back to plays at the beginning of Tom Brady's career where he himself was getting hit much harder, much less any of his counterparts at the quarterback position or anywhere else. So games changed a lot, and it, I, I, I get protecting players. I do think there are instances where it's gone too far, and we've seen a couple of those this weekend. But anyway, I think uh, that's going to wrap it up for us this week. Uh, we want to thank everybody. And let's, oh, you got something else? Yeah, I need to give my dogs of the week. Um, my bad. Travis Kelsey, just an unbelievable game. I, it did not feel like he had 25 yards, but I guess that is what the final box score says, along with seven catches for four touchdowns. And honorary dog of the week, uh, Dave Tepper. Good job, man. Finally got the job done. Yeah, I think uh, I don't think too many people are going to be upset that Matt Rule was fired there by uh, by Carolina. But uh, did you have anything else before we wrap up? Uh, no, that'll do it for this week. 
All right. Well, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to episode six here. And we hope uh, you guys re uh, enjoy the recap of week five of all the action here. Definitely a lot to discuss this week. Uh, we want to make sure uh, you guys uh, are able to find this on your preferred platforms out on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, et cetera. Uh, go ahead and rate, review, subscribe, do whatever you can. Help uh, you know, grow the show for us as much as we can, as much as we're doing ourselves, obviously. But uh, we would really appreciate any feedback. If you guys have any thoughts on the uh, roughing the passer calls or uh, any of the games themselves or our takes on some of these state of the franchises or whoever your dogs of the week were, uh, we'd love to get some com uh, comments on that. And uh, please don't forget to follow our social media pages on Twitter and Instagram at Take a Swig Pod, spelled exactly like it sounds for both of those. Uh, but uh, that's going to wrap it up for me. So for Blake, this is Swig signing off. Thanks for tuning in and we'll be back next week.